on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a sunny Wednesday, April 19th, 2023 afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. You've got us for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7 for the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. It's good to be uh, in the studio, and I'm here all day today. I know it's kind of crazy to to think about that since I was gone all day Monday and uh, was here for just the first 30 minutes yesterday but no Lee Scott baseball today so I am here the entire two hours and uh, Carter starts to clap his hands and 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 thank the Lord so uh, I'm here with him as well so Carter happy Wednesday brother you got me for two hours today hey it's good to it's good to have you back buddy it it, it is it's good to be at full strength here on the show and uh, be able to to maybe relax there you go yeah that's right well you've done a great job uh holding down the fort and of course i appreciate you but we've got a very busy show here today on this wednesday afternoon lots of stuff to catch up on uh myself really i mean i we have so much to talk about over the next few days on stuff that i have not been able to talk about yet uh stuff that's going on currently right now lots of auburn things we'll start the show off with here today jordan hill of dogs 247 he'll join us at 2 30 if you remember all throughout football and basketball season he joined us every Wednesday at 2 30 uh, we bumped him back a little bit just because uh, he doesn't cover baseball a whole lot and to be honest there hasn't been a ton going on but Georgia had their spring game on Saturday plus the transfer portal being open and the NFL draft coming up just next week and Georgia they'll have a few guys taken I assume so we'll talk about Georgia and all of that coming up with Jordan Hill at Dogs 247 coming up at 2 30 then in hour number two at 3 30 Joey Blackwell our usual Monday guest joining us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line so we'll talk to him on or on at 2 3 30 to talk about Alabama spring game coming up on Saturday the quarterback battle they've got going on uh, talk about the transfer portal for them and if they plan on making any additions on that baseball a little bit we'll catch up on the Crimson Tide there as well so that's coming up at uh, 3 30 Joey Blackwell of Bama Central but in between and around all of that phone lines are open we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 and you can also tweet at us at ESP ESPN 1067 on Twitter. You can hit us up there with comments, questions, concerns. We'd love to to see you on Twitter as well. But Carter, let's jump into this thing because like I said, I feel I feel behind. <laughs> I feel behind since I haven't been here to talk about everything going on. Yep. I've been busy with Lee Scott Baseball. Had a game Monday, two games yesterday, got two games tomorrow. Uh, so I'll only be here for the first 30 minutes tomorrow. I apologize. But it's a lot of fun, and baseball's coming down the, the home stretch in high school. Postseason starts next Thursday, and we'll update you as that goes along. But let's jump into this thing, man. With Auburn, there's just so much going on right now, and I think I want to start with the basketball news that we got yesterday uh, about Jani Broom, who declared for the NBA draft. But here's what's important. He declared for the NBA draft. He's going to test the waters, but he is 
basically keeping his eligibility. So yes. he's going to test the waters. If he likes where he goes or where he thinks he could go, he'll get he'll go and get drafted. And if he doesn't, he can come back and play for Auburn. So with a guy like him who is as good as he is and put up pretty good numbers this past year, why not? It's basically my answer to that is why not do that? And so we'll see how it goes for Jani Broom. Yeah, I mean, this. I don't think this was unexpected. This is something that Bruce does with his guys. Is Bruce has them test the water, get feedback from professional scouts, from get a grade back on where they stand, learn about what these scouts think that they, they need to improve on. Um, I don't think that this was unexpected at all. I, like, I think that this is um, pretty... I think everybody in that basketball building was well aware that this is going to happen. I don't think this changes any plans. I think the plan, in my opinion, I don't think Jani Broom is an NBA draft guy. Certainly not right now. I he I don't think he really is in general. Maybe he could be a G League guy. Uh, I just don't think he's strong and physical enough, and his outside shot's not good enough. Right. And so... One of those has to get significantly better to have a chance in the NBA. Um, with that in mind, he's going to be back in Auburn next year. I mean, he I, he's not going to get drafted this year. If you're worried about it, don't be. Right, that, and that's that's exactly it. Don't be worried about it. Yeah, like, Janai Broom will be the starting center for Auburn next season. But I like that nowadays you can test the NBA draft. You can test the waters and see where you stand, right? And, and like you were saying, Carter, you can get feedback, direct feedback from from these NBA scouts, from the execs, from the coaches on, okay, this is where you stand in our eyes right now, but here are the things you can work on to maybe improve your draft stock, but you can do all of that and still retain your eligibility. There was a time where you couldn't do that. You had to, you either declared for the draft or you came back to college. You didn't have the either or option. You could not do both at one time. And so I like that you can have that option now. I think that's the best way to do it for the student athlete. And there's no surprise that Janai Broom is doing this. He won't get drafted, um, and he will be back at Auburn. And so if you're an Auburn fan and you saw that news yesterday, uh, our recommendation is don't worry about it because he's going to test it out. He'll get some information and feedback, and he'll come back and play at Auburn and has a chance to be even better next year than he was this year because I think there are going to be better guys around him, especially at the guard position, that can set him up much better than what we saw this past year. Yeah. 100%. I mean, this this roster is going to look different. I think it's going to complement Janai Broom a lot better. I think you're going to see him uh, there. There may be an ability to dump the ball into Janai Broom, and when they all converge on him, like we saw all year, he's able to throw it out to guys who can actually hit some threes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that loosens up the inside, and we might, we might see a Janai Broom 30-point game this next year because because of the rest of this roster around him complementing his game better. Well, I've said about Janai in the college game, even in the SEC, I said it all the time on this show and in and, and other places, Janai Broom is a walking double-double. He should be. He should be a walking double-double with points and rebounds, Agreed. in my opinion. And that did not always happen 
this past year because there were times where he would not crash the glass. There were times where scoring wasn't really a a problem. It was more on the rebounds than anything, but I think that's an area where he could be uber aggressive and become a 15 and 15 type of guy I believe he can be that if as you mentioned he ups the physicality he ups the energy is not the right word but that's what I'm going to go with and matching up and and matching other players energy levels when he goes up against them against a guy like Oscar Shibway or other players to that caliber if Janai Broom raises his level to that which I think he can with better players around him Jani Broom will be a walking double-double. And at that point, if he somehow develops an outside shot because uh, the the center position in the NBA, you look around, you have to shoot. I mean, you just have to be able to shoot. And that's something I talked about with Walker Kessler when he was testing the waters for the NBA draft after winning Defensive Player of the Year last year. That was my concern was Walker doesn't shoot the outside shot. He didn't do that in college because he didn't have to. But that's what an NBA center has to do at somewhat of an effective rate. And so can Janai Broom get to that point? I don't know. I don't think he will because Auburn doesn't need him to do that. So I don't know if he'll develop that outside shot or not. I don't think that should be his concern, but you never know. I mean, I think you saw signs at the end of the year that would indicate that he was improving. I mean, we I saw we saw him late in the year shoot well from three. Um, he honestly, I thought he was a pretty similar three-point shooter to Kessler in his time at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Kessler did take those shots, and like when he'd get the ball at the top of the key and he's so big, if you were off him a little bit, he'd take it. Uh, and he wasn't the best three-point shooter at all. Janai was really bad from three, and in the back half of the year, we saw him shoot more and make more of them. If that becomes another another club in the bag, uh, just another threat, I think that only helps the offense. I just think that should be a, a last last ditch effort once or twice per game Jani Broom shooting a three like if you dish it out and end of the shot clock and he's standing wide open with nobody within 10 feet yeah let it rip but there should not in any way shape or form be a game plan around Jani Broom shooting a three I'm not asking you to run Jani Broom off screens (laughs) and catch and shoot or him to shoot the Katie Johnson step back contested three that we've seen so much I'm not asking that but but if he gets the ball and he's on the three-point line, and they're just sagging off him, and they're daring him to shoot, to have the ability to knock down that shot enough to make them res- the defense respect it, I think it's a valuable tool. I'm with you. I'm with you. But at the same time, if he is truly trying to get to the NBA, which obviously he is, I think in that situation, more times than not, if Janai Broom gets kicked the basketball and for some reason he's standing outside the three-point line, which in my opinion should never happen, and especially on the defensive side. We talked about that a ton this year where Auburn got burned in the paint because Janai Broom was way out guarding somebody near the three-point line. But on the offensive side of the floor, I think more times than not, if Janai Broom finds himself standing with the basketball outside the three-point line. If he wants to play in the NBA, yes, he needs to be able to knock that that shot down 30% of the time as a center. I would love to see him put it on the floor. Put it on the floor and get to the paint and make a play from there. A jumper, a floater, 
put your head down and get to the rack, get to the free throw line. If he truly wants to play in the NBA, he has to be able to do those things. I mean, I I don't know if we're ever going to see Janai Broom shoot a floater. I don't think that's going to be in his game much. But to what I'm saying is if you have that ability to knock down a three and make them respect it, make them have to close out on you because you're wide open for whatever reason, that may free you up to pump fake and put the ball on the floor and get by somebody. Um, I agree that, yes, like the vast majority of his game needs to be um, in the paint. I mean, that's we he has the best post moves out of an Auburn big man that we've seen in years. I mean, Austin Wiley didn't have those moves. Kessler didn't have those moves. Yeah. Kessler didn't. Um, he didn't I mean, have to, but he didn't have them, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's fair. There are things about his game that I really like. I think he's got to get quicker. I think he's got to get stronger. Um, I think he's just he's got to have a tougher mindset mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. and That's and, my biggest knock on him. And I think playing in the SEC, you would think that would get better and that would increase and improve, and it very well might. And I think another year in college will help Janai Broom do that tremendously, and he will come back. Again, there's no worry in my mind about that, and I don't think anybody else is worried about that. We've seen we've seen Bruce Pearl put guys in the league at a pretty effective rate recently, which I think is phenomenal, and Auburn fans should be very excited. You've got a guy in the playoffs right now in the NBA and Isaac Okoro for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, when's the last time you could say that, that you had an Auburn player in the postseason in the NBA? Like, it's been a long time for that. We've seen Bruce put guys in the league. We've seen guys test the waters. We've also seen guys get some bad information about their draft stock and going to the draft too early. I don't think that'll be a problem with Janai Broom, but we've seen it in the past, and I'm pointing all fingers to Sharif Cooper, who was a stud. And And JT Thor. And JT Thor, yes, but he had to go, I think. He had to go. Why why do you say that? What's the reason? I would have loved him to be back at Auburn, but the love he was getting from the NBA at his age, I just think for him it made more sense. And at the time for I Sharif, disagree. he was 17 years old, and they still wanted him. Kind of, he was a back half of the second round pick. But he's there. If he comes back, develops, shoots the three a little better, and is on a an Auburn team that all of a sudden the literal next year is the number one team in the country. We're talking about he has a giant spotlight. He's playing next to a top five pick. He there's there's going to be more opportunities for him. They're they're not focusing on him, and if he develops, because honestly, I I I think J T. Thor going to the NBA as early as he did. I get why he did it. I think there was he wanted to to make money for his family sooner. I think had nil been fully instituted at that point in time we'd be having a different conversation and yeah. we would have seen him go into the the uh, I think you you would may have seen him come back yeah but I think if he needed time to develop he needed reps oh, because I'm, he was so young yeah I'm not saying he was NBA ready at the time I'm just saying they wanted him and so at I think 17 18 back, years old I think if he comes back and he's on that team last year I think he's a lottery pick and very well could be very well could be and look I'm 
I get that and I'm with you. I just think for him, again, they wanted him at so young where it would be so hard to say no. But then you had Sharif Cooper who was getting word that, hey, you're a first-rounder. You got to go. You're a first-rounder. You're going to get drafted. You're going to be a guy in the NBA. And then he dropped like a rock on draft night. And he is yet to get into the NBA. He's still playing in the G League. And he's one of those guys who was balling out in the G League, but he'll never get there. Yeah. He'll never get there. And it's not because of his skill. It's not because of the guy. It's not because of anything except one thing. I, I, he's not, just not tall enough. I'm not ready to say he'll never get there. I'm not ready to say that. I mean, we see we see Chris Paul. Chris Paul's played 20 years at six feet tall. Sharif's, what, 5'11"? Yeah. I mean, it's an inch. But, I mean, he has... He's so elite in his passing, and his shot making has gotten better. His his three point shot has gotten a lot better because it was bad at Auburn. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to full on punt on he will never play in the NBA. My worry is the fact that the same thing you're seeing in college is happening in the NBA. The guard position is a taller position now. It's a taller game where you have to be taller to be effective in college. We've seen that. We saw that at Auburn with shorter guards. That is Bruce Pearl's MO, and it just hasn't worked out the way he wanted it to the last couple of years. And I think you're seeing the same thing in the NBA because look at the point guards now. They're taller. And look at the players in the NBA at the center position to drive into the paint. you got to get over seven foot five guys. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the height that you're seeing in today's game of basketball, not just college, but I think it's being brought into the NBA because of guys in college, and that's what worries me about a guy like Sharif Cooper. Yes and no. I mean, you look at the college game. I mean, UConn, I think, in terms of a starting lineup, um, this was the first team in a while that you've had a guard. Every guard's been taller than 6'2 or 6'3 um, to win a national championship. Like, it's there, there's still a place for small guards in college basketball. We've seen small guards be dominant. Look at Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel is 5'9, and he was the best player in the NCAA tournament. And, and, Plug him into any of the Final Four teams. I think he leads them to a national championship. I think he was that special. Uh, I don't. I think he was on a team full of trans. They were, they were the, one of the worst teams in the Big Twelve last year, and they all transferred in. First year head coach. They go to the Elite Eight. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think if you have a an elite skill of quickness and passing, and you work hard enough at your defense to not be a liability, there's still a place for a guy like Sharif Cooper in the NBA, especially if he continues to improve shooting the basketball. I mean, I I think with the numbers he's putting up, there are NBA teams that he could contribute. I'm not saying he's going to start, but I'm saying he could contribute and come off the bench and spell a starting point guard and I hope so I really really do I hope he can find a way Jared Harper 
hasn't and probably won't and I just I hope Sharif Cooper can find that way but how we got down this rabbit hole is Janai Broom declaring for the NBA draft yesterday he'll go and test the waters but he's able to keep his eligibility and come back to Auburn this season I think he will do that I don't think he'll get drafted but you may as well go and get some information while you have the opportunity we have blown past our first break got to get to it here as we are underway on the Wednesday edition of On the Line we'd love to hear from you our listeners 334-321-1390 We'll talk more Auburn athletics, maybe some football when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, trying to catch up on everything going on in Auburn athletics as I've been out of the studio the past couple of days. Had a good conversation about basketball and got down the rabbit hole a little bit, talking about guys testing the waters for the NBA coming from Auburn. Uh, But baseball yesterday got a midweek victory over Samford and a much needed win at that they only give up a few runs and a pretty impressive day for the pitchers I know it's Samford I know it's a midweek but maybe a confidence boost that this Come Auburn team now. needed don't don't disrespect Samford here I mean we Samford's we a good program I know exactly I, you know, the, but it's not the, an SEC school the statement of I know it's Samford is like you're saying I know it's Alabama and no but it's still a midweek but I'm not discrediting Auburn because there was a point where we had no confidence in the pitching whatsoever playing anybody. And all, so all I will say is there was a decent portion of the last twenty years where Sanford was probably the best baseball program in the state of Alabama. I completely agree. But when you when you look at this performance uh last night, the way that well, one, good for the offense to wick back up after mm-hmm. what was a tough finish to the weekend after they started hot in game one against Alabama. Uh Cole Foster he went three for four. Bobby Pierce, three for five. Ike Irish, three for five. And Bryson Ware, two for four. When your first four guys all have multiple hits and three of them have three hits, it's going to be a productive day. Yes. And so I credit to um, the top of the order getting stuff going. Cole Foster, Cooper McMurray, both having uh, a home run in there. And, you know, the staff pretty good job I guess piecing together a a solid outing uh Hayden Murphy gave up all three runs in his three innings three and a third innings of work uh in relief of Zach Crotchfelt who uh just went a single inning to start the game but this is something to build on because you got pretty good performances out of Drew Nelson uh Parker Carlson uh, and then John Armstrong came in to throw the last uh, two-thirds of an inning. You got three three guys who had a solid outing. Crotchfelt had a couple walks, but he did strike out um, three hitters in that first inning. So I guess you could say it's something that, that you can build on there as well. They just got to get more consistent, man. Yeah, no, they do. And they have to figure it out because – Mississippi State comes to town this weekend and not that Mississippi State is to the level they have been in the past but you just don't want to mess around with them I mean they're they've got talent there's no doubt about it that Mississippi State has talent the coaching they've got it all 
They just have to find a way to put it together. And Auburn cannot afford to give up double-digit walks in a game against Mississippi State because they will beat you if you do that. And so Auburn gets the win in the midweek over Samford as they prepare for the Mississippi State Bulldogs coming to town. That series beginning on Friday and here on the show today, we've got some tickets to give away. I've got two tickets for Auburn baseball versus Mississippi State, the Friday night game, game one at Plainsman Park. First one to call, you know how it is. You got them, 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. Auburn baseball tickets two of them friday night versus mississippi state in game one of the series give us a call 334-321-1390 and coming up jordan hill of dogs 247 will join us to talk all things georgia athletics football spring game transfer portal nfl draft so much going on right now around that georgia football program we'll talk about that with him as he hops back on the show for the first time in a while so looking forward to what jordan hill of dogs 247 has to same again we'll talk a day or g day i should say it's not a day it's g day over in georgia so we'll talk about that and and whether the results really matter of their spring game over in athens but again two tickets auburn baseball versus mississippi state friday night give us a call 334-321-1390 Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. And we welcome in Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. It's been a few weeks since we've had you on. I know it's been more of a slower period for you, but G Day on Saturday, Transfer Portal, NFL Draft. Man, I know you're busy. It's good to hear from you. Oh yeah, for sure. It uh it's kinda of funny, you know, spring football ends and at the time, you know, leading up to you, like, well, what are we gonna talk about? Uh there's no shortage, uh, with the portal going on, uh with a plenty to talk about from that spring game and like you mentioned the draft, uh, just at this point a few days away. Well, we'll start with G-Day on Saturday. I had to uh, correct myself. I called it A-Day, but it is G-Day over in Georgia at Athens. And so they had their spring game on Saturday. And first, Jordan, before we get into the details of everything with the Georgia spring game, in your opinion, spring games in general, have they lost a lot of their oomph? Have they lost a lot of their meaning over the years and what we're seeing today in college football? Yeah, I mean, I see both sides of it. You know, Kirby Smart was asked about it during the game when he was talking with Alyssa Lang on ESPN. And, you know, he made the argument that it's very valuable for him because, you know, he pointed out essentially Georgia gets 44 starters when they're playing themselves between the 11 on offense for both offenses, 11 on defense for both defenses. So I get that point of it, but honestly – I really liked the proposal that Hugh Freeze had put out there that's gotten some traction as far as, you know, playing an F, uh, another FBS team within your state or playing an FCS team. And, you know, I've heard people say, like with Auburn, um, suggesting playing Tuskegee right down the road, like a Division two school, and, and having a charity and, and trying to do something good with it um, between the two teams. So, you know, for me, as someone just, you know, watching these games, uh, I would definitely prefer it. Uh, if Georgia, say, was playing a different opponent, even if it's you know a Georgia State or an FCS team, Savannah State, something like that within the state of Georgia, 
um, it's a little easier to kind of see what stands out and, uh, you know, trying to figure out who is getting the upper hand rather than, you know, well, this guy made a play on a defender from Georgia. Was that more of the defender not doing his job or, you know, trying to break it down that way? So I can understand, especially coaches who have been doing this a while, why they would want to stick with what has been um, the way they've gone about things. But I'm all for changing it. I don't know how realistic that would be. Uh, but I think it would be a fun twist to the end of spring practice. If Georgia were to play another team for their spring game, what are some uh, intriguing matchups to you that that Kirby Smart could could line up? You know, I think they would try to keep it simple. I don't think it'd be anything wild. I mean, my my projection when we talked about it just on our message board. I really like the idea of playing Georgia State because I don't think Georgia and Georgia State have ever played in football, and Georgia State's been around for a little bit over a decade now. But I mentioned Savannah State. Uh, I don't know how realistic like a Sun Belt team like Georgia Southern would be. Um, they wouldn't play like a Georgia Tech, but you got Kennesaw State as well. Uh, they may be a little hesitant to play them because they run the triple option. I don't know if they want to deal with that at the end of spring ball. But you got a number of two Division two teams throughout the state of Georgia that you could turn to. And, you know, for any of those teams, uh, you know, if you play someone down a level, you really wouldn't have to worry about, you know, quote unquote, losing your spring game, which it shouldn't matter regardless. But um, you got a lot of options in state that would make sense. I would stick with like a Georgia state or maybe a Savannah state and uh, trying to find some common ground on a good charity that both uh, programs get behind. Jordan, you know, if Georgia State rolls in to Athens and beats Georgia in a spring game, the world would go on fire and everybody would run with it until August. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would never go away. <laughs> that's, that's, I, you know, I, I don't think that's the driving force on why people wouldn't want to do this. But, I mean, that has got to be a possibility for any of these schools to say, well, you know, like if you're Auburn, do we really want to play Troy mm-hmm. in the event that Troy could get the upper hand? And you think about the fact that, when is the last time Troy and Auburn have played football? I don't even know the last time that game's actually been played. I don't think they actually have. Yeah, that's that's my point. You know, I don't I don't know how welcoming they would be, but if you like I mentioned, if you decide to instead play like a Tuskegee, uh, I think uh, it wouldn't quite have the threat of things not going your way like it would be with other opponents. Speaking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Let's talk about the Georgia spring game that did happen on Saturday for G-Day. Of course, uh, lots of eyes are on the quarterback battle that's going on at at Georgia. They've got a couple of uh, decent guys in that quarterback room right now that Georgia fans are interested in. What did you see from the team as a whole, both sides of the football, but really specifically that quarterback battle in Athens? Starting generally, I thought the offense looked really, really good. You know, there was a lot of concern. A guy that people listening right now know well, Mike Bobo, uh, running the show again in Athens, and I thought they were clicking on all cylinders. You know, that first-team offense, first three drives, 21 points. I mean, you can't really ask for more than that. I thought the defense kind of settled in. I think that uh, Kirby Smart and company, they probably, uh, you know, had the walls peeling uh you know, the paint peeling off the walls at halftime, I don't think they were probably too thrilled with how the defense was going about it. But they settled in and, you know, kind of got back into a rhythm and got back to what you were expecting. As far as with the quarterbacks, you know, I would say Carson Beck had the best day, but I've always been sure with any of these 
you know, reports would get out of practice or what we'd get to see at practice, and then especially the G-Day game, to point out that it's just one of 15 practices. You know, it's not the end-all, be-all, um, and it doesn't mean that this thing's decided. But I thought Carson Beck performed really, really well. Um, he did have that first-team offensive line blocking in front of him, and they did an incredible job. I thought he had plenty of time to operate, and he made the most of it. Uh, Brock Vandegrift, who is seen as the biggest threat to Carson as far as a starting job, kind of up and down, um, made some plays, had a really bad interception I think he would like back, um, but showed his mobility, which is very hard to do in these spring games because they're going to uh, call a play dead uh, quicker than not, trying to just make sure everybody – gets off the field healthy. So Carson definitely had the uh, better day, and I would say going into the summer that he's got the lead when it comes to this competition. Um, but I love the mindset that I don't think this thing's over, and uh, I don't really anticipate uh, either of those two guys or even redshirt freshman Gunnar Stockton. I, I don't see them hitting the portal. I think that this thing is going to go into the fall, and given the way Georgia's schedule sets up, we really could see a couple of those guys play early on and for this competition to go into the season when you look at that that Georgia defense we obviously know Jalen Carter uh out the door Keely Ringo uh some big name players who are who are some people that stuck out to you over spring and during G-Day uh that that appear to be stepping up for this 2023 season well, I would say starting up front, I think they're going to have a number of guys sort of in that mix. Zion Logue, who is a senior. Nazir Stackhouse, who is also a senior and started for the better part of last season. Uh, Michael Williams wasn't able to go on Saturday. He had surgery earlier in the spring. But I think he's looking at having a big sophomore year, a former five-star. Um, you know, looking elsewhere, Smile Munn and Javon Dumas-Johnson are back in the middle of that defense. Uh, Got to have some guys step up at outside linebacker. Uh, I look at Jalen Walker, who also uh, had to have surgery before spring, so he did not go through spring, but I think he has a chance to really stand out. Darius Smith as well. Um, I think the biggest thing looking at this defense going in to uh, what's left of the summer is sort of figuring out the secondary. They moved Javon Bullard from the star position to safety to fill that spot that Chris Smith played last year. Uh, Javon, I thought, had a really good spring and seems to be taking that change well, and you know, he, he's sort of that piece in the secondary. It's like they wherever they can get him settled, uh, they're going to be in good shape, and then they can kind of put the rest of the pieces around him. Uh, looks like Tyke Smith, who is a former All-American at West Virginia, I've been at Georgia for a couple of years now and uh, was banged up uh, during the 2021 season and uh, was kind of working his way back last fall, but has a chance to have a really good year. I think he's in line to start. Um, no, no surprise at all. When you look at how Georgia has recruited these last few years, that this team still has a ton of talent on defense. And there may be a few names that people don't really uh, recognize right off, but uh, I think three or four games in, uh, you're going to have a good sense of uh, who's going to be out there and who's going to be the guys making plays. Jordan, in Georgia's first national championship run in that team, they were just so stacked on the defensive side of the football. We saw those guys get drafted and what they're doing in the NFL then you see last year where the offense was so dominant where they were scoring 30 and 40 points a game have we seen the mindset at Georgia because you were just talking about the offense clicking on all cylinders in G-Day have we seen the change in mindset at Georgia within Kirby Smart that we're just going to score 100 points and maybe the defense won't be as good as it has been in the past yeah, I mean, I think that there's a piece to that, especially with offense and, you know, kind of 
going wide open and not sort of holding back. And I thought that Todd Munkin and those guys really showed that last season just with the success they had. But, you know, saying that, I mean, I think that defense last year still only gave up maybe 13 or 14 points a game. I mean, it, it might have been a step back just a little, but not significantly. I mean, they they uh, hadn't allowed, uh, you know, a lot of rushing yards throughout the season. They may have wound up leading the nation. I'd have to go back and look as far as rushing yards per game. So, um, it's still built on defense, in my opinion. I mean, they just continue to stack talent. And, and I don't know if there's a deeper, more talented inside linebacker room in the country than what Georgia's got. Uh, but they definitely, I think, are much more comfortable really airing it out on offense and just saying, hey, let's see how many points we can score. Uh, I think that that's something that has come with time with Kirby Smart. I think, you know, in time he's sort of learned, you know, what it takes to be successful week in and week out. And, I think that they've gotten much more comfortable in deciding to be creative on offense and, and kind of going after games and, and uh, scoring a lot of points. I mean, I, you know, I still have trouble wrapping my head around the fact they scored 65 points in a national title game. I mean, that, Wild. That ha- yeah, I know. That happened. And uh, I think it's just sort of a product of, of what they've allowed themselves to do and what they've been willing to do sort of opening it up more on offense. Jordan, uh, we know the draft is coming up. A lot has been made here recently of uh, Stetson Bennett and his draft stock. A lot of comments by NFL scouts and executives. What's your take on that, and uh, how will this affect Stetson Bennett in this upcoming NFL draft? I think it's a product of us needing the draft to get here already. You know, we got to have something to talk about. And you look every year, it seems like there's a player or two where this sort of happens, where there's a conversation about uh, their viability in the NFL and, and some of the things outside of you know what they do and, and what they're capable of doing on the field. I still have the mindset someone's going to draft Stetson. I mean, I, I'm not expecting them to go probably those first two days, but I think fourth or fifth round someone is going to see that you know there's a high upside and the success he had at Georgia, uh, what he was able to do and the accomplishments he had, I mean, yeah, this was big time football. I mean, and, and I understand that the step up to the NFL is a significant one, but I, I think someone's going to draft Stetson. They're going to give him a chance. And out of the mindset, you know, he, I don't expect him to go out and, and, you know, have a Tom Brady like career, but I think he's a guy that can play in the NFL for seven, eight years, can be a guy uh, that can be a quality backup and, and maybe get a chance here and there to start and show what he's got. So um, time will tell. You know, I always just know. Not to put a ton of stock on talk this time of year, just because you're just you're just kind of waiting for the countdown until the draft. So I think someone will draft him, and it's going to be fascinating to see what his NFL career looks like. Well, Jordan, you know it's talking season, man. I mean, the guy's got to have something to talk about. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I, I just you know with everything that comes out, you just uh, get ready to sort of filter it and decide all right, how much of this do I want to kind of take to heart? Right. How much do I want to consider that we got about a week until the draft well other than Stetson Bennett there are some big names from Georgia that we'll expect to hear their name called on the first night of the draft and then throughout the three days of the NFL draft who are some of those that you have your eye on uh, that should expect to see their name and hear their name called and put on the hat of an NFL team on draft night well you know I'd say the two guys that are the favorites to be drafted uh, the highest among Georgia players Jalen Carter Broderick Jones I think both those guys will Probably off the board in those first 15 picks. I think the guys that interest me the most is some of those guys that could go in the first round. Nolan Smith, who tested out of his mind at the NFL Combine. Darnell Washington, I mean, the dude's pretty much a unicorn. 
at tight end. Um, that's probably those guys that you probably see in that first round. And some of those later guys, you know, Robert Bill, who was a veteran, a former five-star uh, outside linebacker, much like Nolan Smith, he tested really well. You know, I could see him being a fourth or a fifth-round pick. Kenny McIntosh was just a total weapon for the Georgia offense this past season. I don't think he ran quite as fast as people were expecting, so I don't know how high he'll wind up going. But he was a really productive running back, and I think that someone's going to recognize that he's got such great pass-catching ability, and uh, so he's going to land somewhere and, and have a chance to really shine. Uh, you know, Georgia's got, I think, 13 players that are going into this year's draft. I would imagine 10 or 11 will be picked, and uh, it's going to be you know, after what well, should be two or three guys in that first round, it's going to be really fascinating to see where these guys land and uh, how they're able to kind of get things started with their NFL careers. Jordan, one more quick one before we let you get out of here. The transfer portal has been open. Uh, it is open for uh, a few more days here as we get towards the end of April. Anything that Auburn fans should keep an eye on when it comes to transfer portal guys either coming out of Georgia or maybe coming to Georgia? Uh, not at this point, you know, and it's kind of hard to to gauge what exactly Georgia wants to do with the portal. You know, they've had some guys leave. Uh, Bear Alexander is the biggest name, but it really sounds like USC is the top priority there. And I saw a report by On3 uh, just before we came on that he's visiting L.A. this weekend. So I think that's going to happen there. Um, I think the quarterbacks are staying put. You know, I think there was some uh, conversation and questions about maybe Auburn uh, being able to land one of those guys and perhaps getting a waiver uh, for that guy to be able to go. So don't think those QBs are going to leave. And really for Georgia, as far as um, adding anyone, I don't know how much how active they're going to be. Uh, the only position I could see them maybe going after is running back just because they were really, really banged up at that position uh, this spring. But they've got really talented guys, and I could see Kirby deciding that you know, they're going to roll with what they got and just hope that they're healthy by the fall. So, um, you know, they're kind of tied around that roster, that 85 scholarship number. Uh, we'll see how many more guys leave. Uh, but I think uh, on the whole, other than maybe a few more guys leaving, uh, I think that it should be a fairly calm portal window for Georgia. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Man, go ahead and plug everything you got going on, what's coming up uh, for your coverage over at Dogs 247. Absolutely, dogs247.com, on Twitter at Jordan Davis Hill, on, tw- on Twitter at dogs247. Got all kinds of uh, uh, recaps from G-Day and getting ready for the draft and also talking some Georgia hoops. They landed R.J. Melendez from Illinois earlier this week, so did a breakdown of his game earlier. So no shortage of stuff to write about, shortage of uh, stuff to talk about, and uh, it's going to be a fun one uh, continuing this countdown to the draft. Well, man, we appreciate your time. We'll have you on uh, coming up in a few weeks and catch up on what's going on over in Athens, man. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you later. Sounds great, guys. Appreciate it. That is Jordan Hill again of Dogs 247. Uh, Throughout football and basketball season, he joined us every Wednesday here on the show, but uh, I have him on here periodically throughout uh, talking season as we are talking with Jordan Hill, but we appreciate him and his time again. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Let's get to our final break here in hour number one. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you, your reactions to what he had to say or anything else going on. 334-321-1390. We'll wrap up hour number one when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. 
wrapping up our number one here on ESPN 106.7. Big thank you to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Good to have him back on the show. It's been too long since we've talked to him and getting caught up on everything Georgia athletics with their spring game over the weekend. And you've got the draft coming up and the transfer portal. And to not much of surprise, he said it should be a fairly quiet transfer portal window for Georgia. And the surprise isn't guys coming into Georgia, but he was right. There was a, there was a time where Auburn fans began to, to try to work in a possibility of maybe a Georgia quarterback transferring to Auburn, but Jordan Hill doesn't think any of them are going anywhere. I mean, they're not going anywhere in the SEC, we, we've talked about this. Greg Sankey has indicated that there will be no waivers inside the conference. If you transfer from one conference school to another, you're not playing in 2023. So if those guys want to play in the SEC, they're not leaving this year. I, I, there's a little reason to, unless, you, unless your mindset is, you know, I am okay sitting on the bench for a year, basically running with the practice squad, basically redshirting, and I can learn the playbook. That's about the only advantage you're going to get. Because right now, you can stay at Georgia, develop further, and then in December, hit the portal, go where you want to go, where you need to go. I, I see that being more likely somebody in that room is going to transfer. Whether it's Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton, one of those two I don't think will be on the roster by the time next spring rolls around. I'm with you because I think everything we've seen and read and heard, this is Carson Beck's job. I mean, he is Carson Beck is QB1 in Athens, and I think that is very fair to say from what we've seen, been told, and heard so far. Hour number one in the books. Come back for hour number two coming up here on ESPN 106.7. ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as our number one is in the books. You know what that means. Our number two is underway here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of our number one, be sure to go back and catch up with the podcast. You can find it a couple of ways at ESPNAU.com. Click on the podcast center or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. 
It'll be uploaded commercial-free right after the show today, so be sure to go and find that if you missed any of our number one or if you missed any of our number two coming up here at this 3 o'clock hour. We had Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 uh, join us on the phone lines. It's been a few weeks since we've had him on, but he came on and caught us up on Georgia's spring game from over the weekend. Uh, told us about the transfer portal for Georgia and the NFL draft coming up next week uh, and who will – hopefully for them, I guess, see their and hear their names called on draft day. And so if you missed any of that conversation, that was back in hour number one. Uh, sort of caught up on all the Auburn news since I've been out of the studio the last couple of days. And so if you missed any of the first hour, uh, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast at ESPNAU.com. Here's what's coming up in hour two. We're going to talk spring games, transfer portal, all that good stuff here in the first 30 minutes. Then Joey Blackwell of Bama Central uh, normally joins us on Mondays. He's going to hop on today at 3.30 to talk uh, Alabama spring game coming up this weekend as all eyes will be on their quarterback battle in Tuscaloosa transfer portal NFL draft. So a lot of the similar conversations we had with Jordan Hill we'll have with Joey Blackwell about Alabama. So stay tuned for that. That'll be at 3.30. But until then, phone lines are wide open. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. And Carter, in this hour, I want to start with the question that I started off with Jordan Hill on is spring games in general. There's been a lot of conversation about this on spring games and the question of do they really matter? Because we've talked about Auburn spring game. Uh, we just talked about Georgia's spring game. We're going to preview Alabama spring game coming up at 3.30 with Joey Blackwell. So all in all, spring games have an overreaction a lot of times from fans and I've seen people say from casual fans I don't like that I think just in general you see fans get they get overwhelmed with and get overworked sometimes with results or lack thereof from spring games and in my opinion it's just ridiculous because spring games just don't matter they don't matter and we've heard Hugh Freeze for Auburn talk about playing a different squad bringing in a Troy or even a UAB or Tuskegee like Jordan Hill brought up I think that's a good idea playing a different team to make it interesting and to actually test your talents against something different um, I think they should just get rid of it altogether. if I'm being completely honest I think they should just use it as a normal practice because that's what it is you have to remember that's the final practice of the spring period for these teams and so in my opinion I think and I think coaches would tell you this too probably off the record but I think they would say this it's a waste it's a waste of a practice for a lot of these squads because you're doing the game the quote-unquote game for the fans which is great and I'm glad that they get to go and experience that but it's just not an effective practice, in my opinion, from what I've seen, because we don't get a lot of results as talking heads that talk about it, and so there's no shot the coaches are getting results like they want to within the practice itself. Yeah, I mean, spring games in their current form, yes, I agree. They don't mean anything. They're just an event for to bring fans to your college town and watch um, bring some fans. Some spring games are pretty sparse some mm-hmm. some schools when i guess when they don't expect fans to really show up they don't even do it for public they do it behind closed doors uh, yeah i mean it's i think there's ways to make it more of an event make it more fun uh if you build a day around it uh if you organize with 
say, your NIL collective to have interaction with players either before or after, and which I think some schools have done. I think Auburn did to an extent. Um, and if you – I mean, I would all, personally, I would always park a day or a spring game on a home baseball weekend. A home baseball weekend, and if you can, a home softball weekend as well. Like, create an event for mm-hmm. people to come to Auburn for the weekend. Uh, make it more fun for the fans. Which I think Auburn's done a pretty good job at that. They, yeah, yeah. I think they were, I think they were on the road for baseball. Uh, no, they were not. I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. I'm completely wrong. It was the rain that jacked yeah, up. Yeah, the rain up. this year is what messed everything right. up. Because right. this year they actually had – it was raining, yes, but they had the Frank Thomas statue unveiled. Like, they did make an event of it this yes. year. It, the would, rain just ruined it. Um, as far as making it a better product, I, I don't think it's going to – on the field, I don't think it's, you're going to get anything out of it from a football perspective, from a getting better – perspective i guess you could make the argument that it's a little more for a position player not a quarterback uh, a little bit more of a i guess under the lights atmosphere because there's fans in the stands the game feel i guess a hair and so maybe you have a guy who just shows you something He's one of those when the lights are on kind of players. Maybe he steps up. Um, short of and and I think the on, the only way to make it a competitive pro, uh, product that you would get something out of is playing another team. Otherwise, like let's let's call it what it is. It's an event for fans because you're you're not getting anything out of it from a football perspective which is why i think it's very important for auburn fans sec fans college football fans and college football media and radio guys and whoever to not take what you see in a spring game whether it's auburn's quarterback battle or georgia's quarterback battle or uh, alabama's safety battle like whatever it may be don't buy into that because as jordan said and i think it's a really good way to put it it's just one practice out of 15. That's one day out of 15 total springs that you maybe saw that guy pop off. And maybe you saw that guy just have a really bad day and just drop five or six balls that were thrown his way or whatever the case may be. It's one practice out of the 15 that are allotted in the spring. And so when you look at it from the Auburn perspective on the quarterbacks, because that's what everybody is concerned with right now and very well should be, You look at this thing and nobody impressed in the spring game because nobody did a whole lot in the spring game because it was a monsoon outside. But even if it was a sunny, beautiful day like it is right now and Auburn had all three quarterbacks go and one of them shined, one of them was average, and one of them was just bad, Auburn fans and Auburn media and media around the SEC, a lot of them, not everybody, but a lot of them would have lost their minds and would have decided the quarterback battle in their minds right then and there And that's just not the correct way to do that, in my opinion, because, again, of what the spring games have become. And I also think it's tough right now because of, and and we've talked about this, how the transfer portal window has been moved up, and that has totally screwed over these programs, the players, the coaches, everything. It has totally messed this all up because 
You have spring games that were just played on Saturday. Alabama plays their spring game this Saturday. And the portal closes coming up in just a few days. And so you're you're putting these players and programs and coaches in really, really tough spots where you have teams like Oregon who play their spring game next Saturday, the day before yep. the portal closes. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And so that puts added pressure on a, quote, spring game, which is all just a practice. It's still just to practice. And so the entire thing has really just become a disaster, in my opinion. Oh, it's it's created a mess. It's created a mess because let's level with each other here. Let's be really honest. Love it. There Let's are players it. going through spring right now who are not in the portal, who, whether it be through a third party, are back channel communicating with other schools. That's not healthy, I think, for a team. That's not healthy for a coaching staff. That's not healthy for a roster. I don't think that's healthy for the player because then that player is going through practices because we've congested it all with by moving the portal window up. That player is going through practices with one foot out the door or with the idea of maybe I can get more NIL money. Maybe I can get to a different conference. Maybe I can get on a better team. And none of this really like matters all that much. So why would I try? and, And this staff that is coaching that player may not have a clue that this is happening. They may be looking at that guy being like, all right, we're locked in. He's starting. He's a, he's on the starting lineup right now. He's gonna he started last year. He's gonna start next year. We don't really have to worry about him because he's starting and he stuck with us through the first transfer portal window, which is when you would reasonably have thought, hmm, maybe um, this is when a guy who is looking for a situation to go to a bigger school or to go to a different conference, or to get NIL money. That's kind of what, what, what the thought process of the first uh, portal window I think a lot of people had. What's happening now is you've got guys going through practices that maybe tell them well, their coach is one thing, like, oh, yeah, like I'm good, coach, like really excited about 2023. But behind closed doors might be like, hey, uh, Call up inner power five school name here and uh, see what their thoughts are about this. They have they seem to have a need here. See what they're willing to um, to give me in terms of nil money or playing time or guaranteeing me a starting job. That type of thing. It I, I just think it's created a really weird environment in college football. But on the flip side, to kind of push back on that a little bit. Isn't that how it is with the coaches versus the player? Whereas with the transfer portal and with just making cuts in general, and that's just how sports go, but the coaching staff going through spring practice, take running back D or whatever, and you you he shows up and you say, okay, time to work. Put in the work. Get in the weight room. You know, Show us what you got on the field. But in the back of their minds, the coaches know, yeah, he's never going to play here. And we're going to have that conversation with them at the end of the spring and say, yeah, you should probably transfer because you're never going to play here. So that mindset's always been there where the coaches know they have a pretty good idea by the end of practice. When spring game rolls around, right, when the spring game rolls around, let's be honest, the decisions are made. 
The decisions are made on who's going to be on this roster and who you're going to sit down and say, hey, it's probably best for you to go somewhere else. And the coaches have that mindset, so that's on the flip side of that. I don't think that happens all that often with guys who in the spring are in your in the starting spot on your depth chart. I don't think I don't think it happens. Sure it happens. And I think I think Auburn could be an example of that with quarterback because right now Robbie Ashford's your starting quarterback on the depth chart. Auburn's going to look for another quarterback. We we've talked ad nauseum about it. But that's known worldwide at this point. Yes. But I do, I don't think that anything that is taking place with with like, those quarterbacks are going to sit down with Ken Austin, with Philip Montgomery, with Hugh Freeze. They're going to have a conversation about, hey, this is where things stand. This is what the plan is. Those conversations have happened this week. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's going to be on the same page there. I think that's a little bit different than, like, your guy who could be a who at a school could be a multi-year starter. And you expect him back. He's one of the. He could be one of the better players at your school in years. And he could be back channel talking to however many schools he wants. I. I. I guess yes. It happens a little bit both ways. It definitely does. I just think it's cre- We've created a really bizarre environment in college football. Where I, I'm not sure, I mean, okay, let's just be straight up about it in, in this aspect. I think we've created an environment where I'm not sure the players and coaches 100% of the time are being straight up honest with, with each other on the same team. Which very well could be happening. It, it absolutely could. And I'm with you. I, I, I accept that. That is, that is a, it's a mindset and an environment and a toxicity that has creeped itself into the game of college football college athletics and and go back to the conversation we've had about the difference in the impact of a player leaving football versus basketball think about if you're starting point guard who if you're Bruce Pearl right and take Jani Broom for example right you're starting center and you're like all right that's our guy next year and instead of him declaring for the draft yesterday what if he waited and when the portal opens whenever he said oh yeah, I'm actually going to dip out. I'm going somewhere else. Bye. And then Bruce and company are like, oh crap, now what do we do? Basketball is a much drastic situation with that, but you're 100% right. This has created a a toxic situation in college athletics where you're absolutely right. The the clarity and communication between coach and player is probably not 100% right now. Yeah, no, I don't think it is at all. I mean, I think that, granted... It's a little more understandable because this would be elevating a level of college football. It'd be going from the G5 to the P5. But somewhat, an example is happening right now at Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall enters the portal. He gets way down the road with Auburn and way down the road with Florida. For whatever reason, there's academic hangups. And he has to withdraw from the portal and go back to, to Coastal Carolina. And he signs his NIL deal with Coastal Carolina. He um, loves it there. He goes to the spring. I do wonder how secure. I, I'm curious what the communication between the new Coastal staff 
And that's another aspect of this is it's a new staff at Coastal. I do wonder what the communication has been between Coastal and Grayson McCall. Mm-hmm. Where do things stand? Because there is a new wave of rumors right now that Grayson McCall could be on the verge of graduating and hopping back in the portal. Which at times seemed, from people on with boots on the ground, would be a miracle. Yeah. And we're talking about a guy who I would assume for Coastal Spring has probably taken every rep at number one quarterback. I mean, I'm sure he has. I doubt they have unless, a guy on the roster that competes with him right now. Unless a just straight-up discussion where it's like, and and if this is the case, if Grayson McCall hits the portal and this conversation, this hypothetical conversation has has taken place, credit to him because this is this is as upfront as you can be. Unless he's just like, hey, I don't even know who the the uh, what the name of the coach is there now. Hey, I'm withdrawing from the portal. I'm going to go through the spring. But let's make no mistake here. I'm graduating and leaving. Like that is the goal. And the coaching staff might know that, even if that hypothetical conversation happened or not. They may already know that. But think about the situations where it's not so cut and dry with a quarterback or a running back or a a linebacker or whatever it may be, or in basketball, your point guard or whatever it may be. Sure, there are going to be some situations where, like Grayson McCall, look, if he's able to graduate and get the grades and do what he has to do, He's not staying at Coastal Carolina, folks. He's not staying there. He's too good to be playing there. He is leaving. And the coaching staff has probably prepared for that once they've gotten word that, okay, he's doing what it takes to graduate and move on. They have probably prepared for that. But where coaches and schools and other players get screwed over with all of this is when it's not so cut and dry and clear. Where it's, okay, this is our quarterback but let's cross our fingers and, and say our prayers at night to make sure he doesn't leave us because if he does, we have nobody else. Yeah. And so that's where this all gets ugly. And that's how this has all been changed with the transfer portal, A, with the transfer portal being added and being coming a thing. And then now with it being right in the middle of spring practice for a bunch of colleges around the country. I mean, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. And yeah, and and credit to Hugh Freeze for having spring so soon because his staff gets to focus 100% on the transfer portal now. Yep. Meanwhile, you've got Oregon who is going through spring practices up until the day before the portal closes. Which is why when you look at Auburn's quarterback battle and Auburn's holes that they have to fill on this roster – There are going to be so many more guys that enter the day before it closes because Oregon's not the only school playing the day before the portal. There are schools playing this weekend and next weekend, and it's going to be an absolute disaster. But it just add those things to the list of the challenges that it has to be a college coach now. It's harder than it's ever been. It's harder than it has ever been to be a head coach for a college program, football, basketball, volleyball, golf, I don't care. It is harder than it's ever been given the transfer portal and NIL.
and it's it's tough to see at times. We got to get to our first break here in hour number two. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this conversation. 334-321-1390. We'll talk some more about it. And then Joey Blackwell, Obama Central, joins us coming up at 3.30. We'll get his thoughts on this conversation as well. But give us a call. 334-321-1390. More of the Wednesday edition of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Great conversation we're having right now. We got a few more minutes before Joey Blackwell of Bama Central joins us on the phone lines. But just really having the conversation that needs to be had about how hectic it is to be a college football coach right now, a college football player right now, and just trying to figure all this out with the transfer portal being open, spring practices still going on until the day before the portal closes. I mean, have we gotten, and if I've missed it, I apologize, have we gotten a legitimate reason on why they moved the portal up from May 1st to May 15th to now April 15th, April 30th? Like, have we gotten a legitimate reason from the NCAA about that? Or did they just decide, you know what? We have the power to do it. Let's just do it because. I will uh, see if I can get a... I'll admit, I haven't looked that question up, but I also haven't seen it anywhere. And I, I feel like if there was a legitimate reason that actually had concrete evidence for them to do this and it be a good thing people would be giving reason for that, and this would be more of an argument rather than a discussion. But it seems like everybody's on the same side here of why in the world did we move the transfer portal window up to the middle of spring practices? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And and again, it would be a an argument with people on two sides rather than what seems to be a consensus around the game of college football where we're all asking why. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know why it moved up, but I think it's created. You want to talk about there? There was a lot made of this past year. The college football calendar, especially for these coaches, because starting in January you have recruiting, signing day, you have spring practice. Then you have, I guess, a tiny, tiny, tiny window of a break after spring practice. But then you're full go, full throttle recruiting for your next class. Then fall camp, football season. You come out of that and it's early signing period, transfer portal window, back into January, recruiting the rest of signing day. I don't think it's sustainable. I think it's an unbelievable grind. I think that's why you see... I think that there's a lot of coaches... A school that I've seen a lot of this take place at is Northwestern. Several position coaches left for roles in the NFL Mm -hmm. because the grind's not as bad. The grind's not as bad. Because there's a separation between the coaching on is, the game. is the offseason for, for a large right. portion of it. Right. There's and a separation there's, of on the field versus off the field stuff. Exactly. And there's and a whole not, different group that does those And things. you're not having to recruit 24-7. There's a GM whose job's to to assemble the, the roster. I think you're seeing more 
I think I think that's why in college basketball, you've seen a lot of legends retire over yeah. the past few years. Which is why I've made the statement that Nick Saban, I think his days are numbered at Alabama because of how difficult it is to be a head coach in college football. We'll talk about all this stuff coming up with Joey Blackwell, Alabama Central, who joins us next. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, he's Carter Bird, and we're joined by Joey Blackwell from Bama Central. Normally joins us on Mondays, but uh, able to hop on Wednesday. So, Joey, hope all is well. Man, I know uh, uh, it's a busy time with Alabama spring game coming up on Saturday. Yeah, very busy week around here in uh, Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, but uh, eager to finally um, get out there and watch these guys on the on the gridiron this weekend. Well, let's jump into that a little bit uh, as we get closer to the spring game, the big conversation uh, that's being had around the game of college football and a lot here on the show today is the, I guess, the, uh, the importance of a spring game and what the spring game actually means and how much can you really take away from a spring game in today's world of college football. And so your what are your opinions on on the spring game and just how much you can truly get from the results of a spring game? Well, I think the first and foremost is an opportunity for, you know, to see just how how well the freshmen have adapted or, or, or the younger players. I mean, obviously there are going to be veteran players that, you know, already, you know, have the starting spots locked down. You expect them to come back, you expect them to do well. But it's more about the young guys, the freshmen and the sophomores, and, and how they've been integrated and if we're going to see them a good bit this year. You know, Alabama's had a, a good bit of players um, on defense that have been, you know, recovering from injury or have been withheld from practices these past few weeks in the spring. And so that's, as Saban has said, given a lot of the younger players opportunities to step up and, and get a lot of experience. So I'm interested to see how many young players we have out there this weekend. Now, like you kind of alluded to, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see them a lot this fall, um, but it'll it'll kind of be a, a preview of what's to come, maybe not this season, but in the next couple of seasons down the road with the younger players. Joey, talking about those younger players, who are, who are going to be some of the names that you're going to have your eye on on Saturday? Yeah, you know, um, on defense, you know, I, I really like what we've seen from, you know, Jamil Burroughs. Um, he, he obviously played a good bit for Alabama last year. Um, but uh, he's not really a young guy anymore, but he's a guy that a lot of people still don't know his name, and he's interesting. His fourth year, um, I really think he could be great for them this year. Um, a lot of, uh, course, talk has been that outside linebacker due to Will Anderson, of course, leading for the NFL. Um, I like what I've seen from, you know, we, we obviously know that Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are coming back, but they've been out in the spring due to injury. So I'm interested to see um, Jeremiah Alexander, who's a really solid outside linebacker he's a redshirt freshman he did appear in four games last year but that was primarily on special teams um, we could also see players like Quandarius Ross um, Quandarius Robinson Keanu Coat and maybe even Claude Rousseau. Um but Alexander really um, is the young guy that I'd like to keep my eye on on that defense and then Joey on the offensive side a lot of eyes 
for Alabama fans and, and really SEC fans in general, the quarterbacks, right? It's it's the it's the conversation around most SEC schools right now. Auburn, obviously, you know we're in we're in our own sort of quarterback battle down here. But the quarterbacks on Alabama's roster have some serious talent, but also some serious question marks as well. And so uh, any expectation on what you think might happen in the spring game and if you'll have any clarification coming out of it? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really know if we'll see any clarification. Um, I, From what I've heard from sources that I've had that have gone to the first two closed scrimmages, it seems like Milrow um, is, is pretty much in the lead. And we kind of expected that. You know, he obviously started um, a game last year um, when – Bryce Young was hurt. He also took over in the Arkansas game, which is the game that, of course, Young was hurt. Um, and you know, he was a little he was a little shaky, but that's to be expected. You know, he he. But at the same time, he was able to win both the games. He was out there. One of them being a hostile environment on the road against Arkansas. Um, but yeah, I, I think more so that's going to be interesting with, when it comes to the quarterbacks this weekend is how they interact with the new offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese. Because obviously Tommy Reeves is, you know, from what Nick Saban has said, he's kind of picked up the system that they had last year and kind of made it his own. Um, so I'm interested to see more so the play calling and how those quarterbacks are implemented because Jalen Miller and Ty Simpson are both really solid quarterbacks, but they do both have pretty significantly different play styles um, under center. When when you look at this Alabama team and maybe the, the quarterback position is, is a spot to uh, keep an eye on, Exiting the spring, do you foresee a lot of movement in the transfer portal of players leaving and Alabama adding some some players to this roster? And are, are there any needs that Alabama needs to maybe uh, address? I don't think there really is is that much of a need. I know there was a lot of question marks surrounding Alabama coming into spring just because Alabama didn't really hit the portal as hard as they have these past couple of years. Um, they did, of course, get... Tresman Marshall, who's a solid linebacker out of Georgia, he's on the team as well as a, a couple of others. I really don't see them adding any more players this late. They might add one or two, but I think out of all the pieces they have, Saban seems pretty content with the depth that he has right now. This is going to be a very young team, um, much younger than Alabama fans are used to seeing. But I think that you know it's hard to say Alabama's having a rebuilding year. They very really have a rebuilding year. Um, but at least under Nick Saban. But I think this is going to be a year where we're going to see a lot more young faces um, in, in, the, in starting positions that we normally don't see. And um, while that might not necessarily bode well for maybe this season, even though I think they will do relatively well, um, it definitely speaks a lot for what this team can do maybe down the road after these players get a year or two of experience under their belt. And Joey, one thing we've talked about a lot on today's show is is the placement of Alabama spring game with the new transfer portal window. And you were talking about how not many you don't expect many guys to come and go for Alabama, but the the spring game is right in the middle of this new transfer portal window and just how tough that is as a head coach, Nick Saban or the assistant coaches and the players on the roster to try to deal with all of this going on at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's been a little odd for us in the media, too, because we've, we've grown so used to having a day on Easter weekend that, uh, you know, we pretty much just put a big X over that weekend to be any free at any time. Right. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, this year was pushed back a couple of weeks. You know, I, I've actually asked the, the sports information directors at Alabama why that change was made. Nobody seems to really know. But you're exactly right. It does kind of throw a, throw a wrench into the mix if you're a head coach or an assistant coach, you know, trying to, to hit the transfer portal. So, 
Um, I don't, you know, but Nick Saban's been been doing this balancing act for several years now, not with the updated schedule, but with the transfer portal and, you know, never always be recruiting. So I don't, he's always been fantastic at adapting um, to the world of college football, and I don't think that's going to be any different this year. Joey, the NFL draft is coming up, and uh, we know Bryce Young's going to be at the very top. There's a lot of discussion about him being the number one overall pick. In your mind right now, is Bryce Young pick 1-1 of the NFL draft, and uh, who are some other names that uh, we should be aware of from Alabama in this upcoming draft? Yeah, you know, I think from what we've seen with Bryce Young, I think the lowest he goes is the second pick. Um I really can see him going number one, though, especially after you know um, he's pretty much done meeting with teams at this point. The Panthers do seem very, very interested in him. Um, I think ultimately that is where he goes, just because he fits into their system, um, and I think he's a I mean, obviously he's a fantastic quarterback. He won the Heisman Trophy, but I really can see him going there. I'm interested to see where Will Anderson ends up. You know, he was meeting with the Seattle Seahawks today. But I don't think he's going to fall all the way down to number five. Um, I really think that he could potentially go number two um, to the Houston Texans just because, you know, their new head coach, D'Amico Ryan, is a former Alabama defender. And no doubt yeah, he's probably seen Will Anderson play and wouldn't mind having him on his team in, mm-hmm. in a year that they're definitely looking to add some solid defenders. So that's my biggest question mark is where does Will Anderson go? I mean, we know that he's going to go – um, more than likely top five, but it's really hard to see him going, you know, falling all the way down to the Seahawks. With so many quarterbacks in this NFL draft, Joey, it seems the conversation, and as it should, is who is the best NFL quarterback? Who is the best? Who's going to be the best in five or ten years from now? Who, you know, who has the potential to be the best NFL style quarterback because of the just the major difference in the college and professional game in your mind? Yeah. Is Bryce Young the best NFL-ready quarterback and NFL potential quarterback out of all the guys that are in this NFL draft coming up? Yeah, that's the nicest way I've been asked. I've been asked if Bryce Young's size is going to be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you read you uh, you read through it. You've been in this business too long, man. No, you know I, I'll say I'll answer that directly. Um, I don't think size is going to be an issue, and the, the way I can back that up is has, has size ever been an issue for Russell Wilson? Has size ever been an issue for, for Kyler Murray? I know that's terrible because both of those quarterbacks had really bad seasons last year. <laughs> but prior to that, you know, obviously Russell Wilson did fantastic in Seattle. Kyler Murray did a great job in Arizona. Um, look at Devontae Smith. I know he's not a quarterback, but he's a wide receiver that everybody doubted his size before he went to the NFL. And look what he's been doing. Just went to the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, so I think that while size is important, you have to remember Bryce Young has been playing the past few years at Alabama, which obviously they have a bunch of cornbread-fed boys up front in an offensive line that's going to be very difficult to see over. And he went out and won the Heisman Trophy and took the team to a Sugar Bowl the next year. So um, I'm not concerned about Bryce Young's size at all. Um, he's used to playing behind big linemen, and he's been able to um, – he's been able – he's used to being able to – See downfield. I think that's not going to be an issue for him at all, and I think he's going to thrive. And I think that's exactly what the Carolina Panthers see in him as well. Joey, Alabama baseball got a big series win after dropping Game One against <laughs> Auburn in this past weekend. Uh, it was really, it was fascinating how Game One went so drastically different than the uh, next two games. Uh, but mm-hmm. Alabama is now six and nine in the conference, twenty six and twenty two overall, uh, and D one baseball has got them as a three seed in the 
Greenville Regional right now with their latest field projections taking on uh, East Carolina and Duke in that regional. What have you seen from this Alabama team, and how big was that series win this past weekend? Well, it was big for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, thing it's their first SEC series win of the season. Um, prior to that, they had they had failed to, to to bring home a series win, and, and now they finally have one. Um, I do think that one thing that has really been good for this Alabama team so far is that they haven't um, they haven't been swept in a, an SEC series yet. Um, that bodes really well for them. However. Coming off of that series win this past weekend, they went and lost. I was there at Regent Field. They lost to UAB on the road, um, which is something you absolutely don't want to do. Prior to last night, Alabama was 10-0 and um, in, mid- in midweek games. Now they're 10-1 and with that loss at UAB. So there's still a lot to be done with this program. Um, they do have a really what I think is a really important road series this weekend at Missouri because after that, it, it really just gets tough after the Missouri series. But I think if they can – um, you know, win two games this weekend. It really helps them out. Um, prior to the season, I had them projected as a three seed um, in a regional, and I, so far that's exactly what they're lined up as. But, man, they have at LSU hosting Vanderbilt at Texas A&M and, at, and hosting Ole Miss to close out the season. And um, it doesn't matter what team you are in college baseball. It's a really tough stretch. Well, we just know how tough the SEC is. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, and that's with Mississippi State and Ole Miss not being as good as they normally are. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable how competitive and tough the SEC is. Joey Blackwell of Bama Central normally joins us on Mondays, but he was able to join us here on Wednesday. And Joey, I was looking back through uh, our Twitter DMs from uh, about this time last year. I mean, we have each other's numbers and text back and forth now, but I reached out to you on april 27th of last year so just about a week oh, wow. from now and you were you were so kind enough to come on when i had just taken over hosting this show about three weeks prior to that and i reached out looking for an alabama guy and you were kind enough to to come on and give us such good information and man you've joined us for just about a year now on this program and so just wanted to uh, to shout you out and just just tell you how much you helped me uh, get this show off the ground and help us with carter being here too throughout football season and basketball and out through baseball and stuff and so i uh, mean we appreciate you and your time uh, every single week and, and you truly have made this show better absolutely I, I really appreciate you guys having me on it's something that i've looked forward to every week the past year and um thank you jacob thank you carter and uh best of luck to you guys and and once again thank you guys so much for having me on and let me hit the airwaves in auburn once a week appreciate it joey yeah we appreciate it joey man we'll talk to you we'll, and we'll stay in touch man we appreciate it Absolutely. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. That is Joey Blackwell of Bama Central. Again, he is uh, the he is the guy over there for Bama Central and has done fantastic work. And uh, uh, it's crazy that he's been he's been with me for coming up on a year now. And so, again, just just a huge shout out to to him. He gives us his time every single week uh, to. To, to talk Alabama and gives us the, the inside scoop on what's happening at Tuscaloosa, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, uh, just the world of college athletics. And so just a huge shout out to uh, to Joey Blackwell. We do, uh, we've appreciated him being on the show for coming up on what is a year now. Let's get to our final break here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll come out and wrap it up here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. 
Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, he's Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Again, just a, a huge shout out to uh, Joey Blackwell, who was one of my first guests on this show when I took over on April 1 of last year. And and as I told him, I reached out to him uh, right, right around this time in April uh, via Twitter DM and just looking for uh, an Alabama writer because my, my mindset when I took over was, People in Auburn, they care about what's happening in Tuscaloosa, and the people in Tuscaloosa care about what's happening in Auburn. And so I wanted yes. to I wanted to bring our listeners uh, a, a, an Alabama perspective, and Joey has been that uh, for the past year. And again, he was kind enough to to hop on for the first time, and, and somehow I convinced him to come on every single week. I don't really know how I did that, but he's, <laughs> he's been with me ever since. And and so uh, we just again, we appreciate his time and everything he's done for us. And so uh, Joey Blackwell of Bama Central, just appreciative of him but hey as we wrap up this this uh wednesday edition of on the line i still have two tickets we gave uh two away earlier but i've got two more sets of tickets auburn baseball versus mississippi state on friday uh it's two tickets to the opening game of the series auburn versus mississippi state friday over at plainsman park give us a call 334-321-1390 first one to call you got them as we get out of here in the next few minutes 334-321-1390 two tickets Auburn baseball versus Mississippi State on Friday over at Plainsman Park give us a call we'd love to give them away to you 334-321-1390 and uh Carter have you been keeping up with the NBA and NHL playoffs I mean there's just so much going on so much excitement going on around the world of sports we talked about it briefly yesterday well yeah I mean it's it's been fun it's been fun I I there weren't as many uh, great NHL games last night. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of blowouts last the, night. Well, we the uh, Lightning Maple Leafs game. The the Lightning got three zero. The Maple Leafs cut it to three two. And then I looked down for ten minutes. I looked back up and it's six to two. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah. How about that? And how about this? The Seattle Kraken who are a new organization in the NHL, uh, only their second year of being in existence, they get their first game win in the postseason. They beat the Avalanche last Good night. for them. Yeah, Good isn't that cool? Defending champs. Defending yeah, champs defending champs. Much. Yeah, so uh, that's exciting in the NHL. Uh, NBA, uh, it still is, uh, there's just a lot I going mean, on. The NBA, the storyline has been dominated by Draymond Green being suspended for game three. It's fantastic. Stomping on DeMontis Sabonis. And that's all, okay, Sabonis grabbed him. Yes. yes. Let's clear that up. But Draymond Green absolutely could have not stomped on his chest. And then the fact that he created such a scene immediately thereafter, I think the whole thing is dumb. I think that Draymond Green is, for me, it's becoming a tired act. It's been happening for too long. It's who he is, though. I mean, it's just who he is as a player. It, I don't like it. I'm one of the many that are not fans of Draymond Green, but I respect him. And I'll say this. Draymond Green, when he retires, he will go down as one of the best non-scoring players in NBA history. He will. He'll go down as one of the best non-scoring players to ever play the game because he does a fantastic job. Now, do I like him and his attitude and his emotions? No, absolutely not. And we were talking before the before the show today. I understood him getting thrown out of that game in game one for stopping on Sabonis and the argument that he well, had nowhere two. else to go. Or game two, that's what I meant. The argument that he had nowhere else to go 
is ridiculous because he did and he just decided to use Sabonis as a launch pad. But the fact that it got suspended for the next game, I was honestly kind of shocked. And it seems like it's a little I'm much. Not, I'm not. You want to know why? Because it's Draymond? No, but well, a little bit, yes. He has a history of this stuff in his career. He's done it his entire career. But you can't have what he did thereafter. Immediately after getting, when the review yeah, was taking place yeah. and the ejection, dude, is it, it's it was a scene straight out of the WWE. Yeah, just agging on the, on the crowd, crowd. Yeah, yelling expletives and inappropriate words we can't say on the radio at individual fans behind the Warriors bench. Like you can't do that. Yeah, it's it's just like, not a good it look. Just, it was such a stupid, dumb escalation after the fact. Like. Had he just taken his medicine, walked out, owned up to it, said, yeah, that was dumb. Because that's what Draymond normally does. (laughs) I don't think he gets suspended, or at least there's a chance that he doesn't. Yeah. But the fact that he played it up the way that he did after and then doubled down on it, like, yeah, of course they they suspended him. They had to send a message like, hey— you can't act like a total idiot on the on the basketball court, right? I mean, look, we know that Draymond he has he has just identified himself as the NBA villain, and he feeds off of that, especially on the road where that series is taking place in Sacramento. So I was kind of shocked he got suspended, but maybe not totally undeserved for Draymond Green and the Golden State Warriors. Watch the NBA, watch the NHL playoffs. They've been fantastic, but we are out of time here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow, though, 2-4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.